0: Great. Well, it is really uh, good to be with you. I said to the, uh, the guys who were there last night, the, uh, the last time I was here was uh, March 2020, um, and my last ever normal church service for about 18 months was here. So I always have memories of you that I came and then the world shut down. But, um, but it's really good to be with you. Uh, thank you for giving me this passage. Um, it, it does give me a little bit of a dilemma. So, uh, so when I was a small child... I was basically taught that if you go as a guest somewhere, you've got to be really polite. And basically, I'm a guest here, and I've been given a passage where God, again and again, describes his people as prostitutes. (laughs) So apologies if I turn out to be a rude guest. But you are going through this book in Hosea. This is the next passage that you're looking at. And even though this is a passage that looks a little bit awkward, It's definitely important. So I don't know whether you noticed the first words that Scott read from chapter 4. Hear the words of the Lord. And so this might feel a little bit awkward, but the God who made the heavens and the earth is basically saying, listen, hear this. Or or that's how it starts in chapter 5. Hear this. Pay attention. So even if you're thinking, what on earth is this passage about? The God who made us is saying to us, listen, pay attention. Which I hope puts you vaguely on the edge of your seats. What is it that God wants us to know about? He wants us to know about a situation that was 750 years before Jesus in a country miles away. And yet it matters because there's an important warning in these words, I guess this time last week your meeting probably got off to a noisy start. It was three o'clock, and did did all your phones sort of suddenly we sort of to start, just, uh, just uh, well, it intended, it okay? <laughs> we just, we just always late, you so always sort that. of managed to avoid it, but most certainly I was in church at three o'clock last week, and suddenly actually there was a mass noise as the warning went out on everybody's mobiles that the government insisted we needed. And Hosea four and five has got a similar feel to that. Here's a warning that everybody has to listen to. You might be in danger. Listen, hear, pay attention. God wants us to listen to a warning this afternoon. Now that's important if we would not call ourselves Christians, because I know if you're not a Christian and you're here. I know the church is really pleased that's the case. And it's great that you're looking into Christianity. One of the dangers sometimes when we look into Christianity can be this, that we kind of conclude, you know, it's really great that these guys have got their faith, but, you know, I don't really need it. What this passage is saying is, actually all of us are accountable to God. God's made us, God's given us all a life, and even if we don't think this is really relevant to us, God wants us to listen, because actually all of us are going to give an account to him for the life that we've lived. And this pastor is going to tell us something about that. And for those of us who are Christians, this is a warning, essentially, about how church can go wrong. I've actually been coming to Grace Church sort of, I don't know, four or five times, I think, over the last uh, eight or nine years. And to be honest, every time I come, I'm thrilled and excited. Because, hey, there's more people here. It's great to sort of hear different people's stories. It's brilliant to hear about plans for the future. It's really exciting. And basically what I want is for that to continue. And for that to continue, sometimes we need to hear warnings saying, here is how it can go wrong. Here's the path you don't want to take. Here's how to avoid that path. You know sometimes when there's a sort of tragic disaster, I don't know, think of something like, do you remember the sort of fire at the Grenfell Towers and the sort of disaster and the, the people who were burnt to death in those towers. And afterwards there's a kind of inquiry. How do we make sure that doesn't happen again? Hosea is a bit like that for God's people. Here's how they got into a complete mess. Here's how to avoid it. And so if you like, imagine if you like clanging bells, God saying, listen, everybody, this is a warning that we need to pay attention to. Here's how to avoid getting into a mess, either if we aren't yet Christians or if we're a church. Here are some dangers to avoid. And basically, there are two main dangers. The first is lousy leadership. Lousy leadership. Remember the issue? The issue is basically introduced in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4, where the, the issue is basically this. God has got a charge to bring against them. And the images of Israel, God's people, they're kind of in the dock, and they're being accused of a crime... And God is the sort of the prosecution. He's laying out the case against God's people. And the issue is this. They're not acknowledging God. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. This is a God who's done everything for them. He's a God who rescued them from Egypt. The land that they're in was his gift to them. And yet, basically, they're just ignoring God. They don't know him. They're not really paying attention to him. And because they're not paying attention to God, well, there are lots of other problems. There's things like no faithfulness, no love, cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. And often in society, that's the way it works. Actually, if you ignore God, it means there's no higher authority. If there's no God, we can kind of do what we like. And that was what Israel was saying. We're going to ignore God, and that means we can kind of do whatever we like. And as a result of that, verse 3, the land will dry up. It will waste away. Basically, the land, that was God's gift to them. God had put them in the promised land, and yet because they're ignoring him, effectively God is saying, that's going to be taken away from you. I mean, you can hardly blame him. It was the thing he'd given, and they'd wrecked it by ignoring him. And essentially he's saying, that's now going to be taken away now what are the leaders doing in the midst of that the leaders aren't helping very much because basically from verse 4 onwards it's talking to the priests the priests they stumble day and night the prophets stumble as well verse 5 my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge in other words why don't the people in the land know god is because the leaders weren't really telling them about god It was the leader's job to sort of tell the people, here's what God said in the past through Moses, here's what God is like. But the leaders weren't doing that. They've rejected knowledge and they've ignored the law of God. So the priests should have been explaining the Bible to the people, but they weren't. They were rejecting that. And actually they were just joining the people in their sin. Really lousy leadership. Earlier this week, or on Monday, I was at a meeting with a group of church leaders down south somewhere. And they were talking through a particularly difficult issue, as it happens, the issue I was talking about last week. And I was spending time with this group of leaders. It it just became obvious that they weren't really comfortable in following the Bible. I should have think, yeah, but... It's just so hard to be different from the culture and the world around us. So, you know, maybe we should just do that so we can sort of witness the people because we have a sort of similar view to them. And basically that was how the conversation was going for about half an hour and they were asking me questions and so on. And as the conversation went on, it just dawned on me, this feels quite serious, actually. And so I've sort of been fairly polite, but that sort of wore off a bit. And I said, look, can I be honest? kind of depends whether you want to kill the church or not really because it seems to me that what God says is that if people reject his word he rejects them and actually he loses having a sense for the people and it did kind of feel that it's one of those, do you ever of those moments where you just think gosh this is just so quite sober and quite somber and quite serious And what the people in Old Testament times were doing was just rejecting God's word. And that never ends well. You know, I said at the start, it's slightly awkward being a guest and being given Hosea 4. But in another sense, I was actually really encouraged to be given Hosea 4. Because let's be honest, if you had leaders who just wanted to miss out anything in God's word that's difficult you wouldn't be looking at Hosea 4. You'd find ways of avoiding a passage like Hosea 4. And actually, in some ways, the fact that you as a church are looking at some pretty difficult stuff where God has got some really challenging things to say to God's people actually quite encourages me. It's probably a sign that you're not dodging the stuff that feels hard and challenging. It's probably a sign that your leaders do want to trust God's word and actually pass on whatever it says. And I simply want to say to leaders here, and perhaps those who are thinking maybe you'll be involved in church leadership in the future, mentioned earlier in the interview, leadership is hard. At times, being a church leader can feel like an impossible burden. I've been there. There's so much you can do, so many different people you can care for. At times, it feels an intolerable burden. But I just want to say this, Whatever you do as a leader, hold on to the fact that your job is to communicate a knowledge of God to people. And that comes from God's word. And just at a basic level of, okay, this is what we're about, never deviate from the fact that people need to hear about God from his word. And at that level, there's a degree of simplicity to leadership. Pass on what God says to people. Because actually when leaders deviated from that, that, if you like, was the first thing that went wrong for the people of God. Lousy leadership. That was the first reason things went wrong. And then secondly, people in their prostitution. People in their prostitution. Now, Scott mentioned that I've got a couple of jobs. One job is to try and train people just in how to understand the Bible. Uh, And when I've got a group of people and I'm trying to do that, one of the things I, I kind of say to them is, if you just want to get a feel for what a passage of the Bible is about, see if there's a word that comes up again and again and again. And in this section of Hosea, there is definitely a word that comes up again and again and again. Talking about the people of God, verse 10. They will engage in prostitution, but not flourish. Or verse 11, they've deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Verse 12, they've run after idols. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. Verse 13, your daughters turn to prostitution. Verse 18, even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Chapter 5, verse 3. Ephraim, you've now turned to prostitution. And verse 4, chapter 5, a spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. Now, let me say a word about language, because it might be that we're struggling with this. You know, particularly in our society today, often prostitution is a sign that somebody's been exploited. So it actually will be what happens to people when they're trafficked. and so on people will be forced to engage in prostitution and people in that position are definitely victims who are worthy of our compassion and sympathy and so if you've just got that question hanging around in terms of language I just want to say that really clearly but in this instance it isn't that Israel is a victim it isn't that they've been trafficked or exploited it's just that they've deliberately run after other gods I hope if you've done Hosea already, you've got the basic image that's going on. God loves his people like a husband is to love their wife. We saw it last night, actually, that sex and marriage is intended to be a big signpost. Sex and marriage is intended to be a big signpost that points to God's attitude towards us. That just as marriage is intended, it's not always perfect, but is intended to be a deeply loving relationship. That's just a picture of just how much God loves people. And when Jesus appears on the scene, he's called a bridegroom because he's come to find a bride, people that he loves. And that image runs all the way through the Bible, just the sheer picture of God's love. The relationship between God and his people is intended to be marriage-like. The problem was this. The people didn't love him back. Instead, they just showered their love all over the place. Strikes the prostitution image. If you like, they slept with somebody different every night. Which means they kind of just showed their love to all kinds of different things. Anybody other than the God who'd made them. They were unfaithful. You get the various things they slept with, as it were in the uh, the passage. So they ran after alcohol and drink. In uh, chapter four, verse uh, 11, you get them running after the old wine and the new wine that took away their understanding. Or well, verse 18, you get this reference to their drinks having been gone. So actually getting drunk was just one of the things they quite engaged, enjoyed doing. Actually, they ran after sex. And so you get the uh, the image that's there in verses 11, uh, uh, in uh, verse 14, you get the, uh, the turning to uh, actual prostitution in verse 13. Or, or verse 14, the men themselves consort with harlots. They sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. And instantly, it's just worth noticing in passing that actually God holds the men particularly accountable. You know, they're the ones who are doing the exploitation. And God sees them carry on their sort of prostitution and actual sexual sin. But then just running after all kinds of other gods, so wooden idols in verse 12. They sacrifice on the mountaintops, that's where other gods were worshipped. And you get it there in verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. And so you basically get this image of, they'll go after anything other than God. Alcohol, sex, idols they'll go after anybody there's the god who's given them everything the maker of heaven and earth and they're saying let's go somewhere else we want satisfaction let's go somewhere else we want meaning in life let's go somewhere else we're going through difficulty let's not look to god for help let's go anywhere else and yet here's the odd thing and to be honest this is why these passages always feel a bit uncomfortable to me despite the fact that they're going to all kinds of different gods, they can put it like this. They don't stop going to church. They don't stop going to church. So again and again, Israel is rebuked for its sin, and yet they're still using religious language. You know, that's what's going on in verse 15. Don't go to Gilgal, don't go up to beth Aven. beth Aven was a play on words. Bethel was the house of God. beth Aven means a house of wickedness. And it probably is the case that the people they were still going to Bethel, the house of God, but the way they were living had turned it into a house of wickedness. And they're still saying, as surely as the Lord lives, as so they might kind of say, something is true. And then out of kind of, as surely as the Lord lives, a nice kind of religious phrase they could sort of throw around. Or we discover that they're still going with their sacrifices in verse 19. Or, or ch- chapter 5, verse 6. They go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord. And so, again, what happened in Old Testament religion was you kept up a relationship with God through various animal sacrifices, and they're still doing that. You know, They're still doing their animal sacrifices, saying, you know, maybe the Lord will be listening and so on. And yet the only problem God says is when they do that, he's no longer there. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. It's almost a bit like kind of praying to God and God's got his fingers in his ears saying, not listening anymore. Not listening. And it's because God won't accept these people effectively committing bigamy. He won't accept the fact that they're in theory supposed to be married to him, and yet they're sleeping with everybody under the sun but still going to church. And he says, I'm not having it. Well, when you come with all your sacrifices, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be listening. The problem is this, verse 4, their deeds don't permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. God is saying to them, you cannot come back to me at the same time as you're saying we're still going to carry on our spirit of prostitution. If you're just doing deeds which are showing you've got no interest in following me, you can't come back to me. And so you kind of get the impression as to what's going on. They're just sleeping around with everybody, still going to church, but really with no interest in God. And God says that Matters because essentially they're trying to take God for a fool and the maker of the universe isn't a fool I was chatting to a friend of mine a good friend of mine recently actually he's got a Christian background there's a particular area where he knows he's disobeying God And we were talking it through, and I was trying to persuade him, mate, you really can't keep living like that. And he said, Yeah, no, but hey, I am praying more. And I'm just thinking, well, that's all very well, but mate, I can't guarantee God's listening. Because it wasn't that he wanted to come back to God; it was just basically a covered say, I'm going to keep wandering away from God, but hey, I'm going to pray a bit. And it just felt like this, actually. You know, going after all kinds of other gods. But hey, we're still bringing our sacrifice and God says, I'm not listening. I'm not going to be there. How do churches go wrong? How does this impact us? To be honest, with churches going wrong, it won't probably be that the church stops meeting. To be honest, that's probably the last thing. That's the last thing that stops. The reason passages like this are just really challenging is because maybe they just get under our skin. We're still going to church. We're still saying the right language. And yet we know we're running after things other than God. And actually those things are more important to us than God. You know, I think, how do I tell? The thing is this, as we make decisions in life, those will reveal what's most important to us so it might be there's an area where you know god says something and you're doing the opposite why because actually it's something else that's more important to you than god might be in the area of sex might be in the area of alcohol might be in the area of what we spend all our time and money thinking and doing it's the kind of thing that basically we're looking to that's the thing that's most important to me and God is saying actually if you're running after something else that's more important to you than me then somehow just using religious language and turning up to church doesn't really cut it actually I want your heart I I don't want you to be a, a prostitute throwing your love all over the place when I am the one who's giving you everything when I'm the one who loves you I'm the one who can satisfy you. There's not actually a lot of hope in this passage. <laughs> so as I was preparing, I was desperately scouring through the passage. Come on, where's the hope in the passage? There is some as you get through, Hosea. It just doesn't happen to be in the passage that I was given. But what do we do with this? You know, maybe if you're feeling crushed by this, Maybe if your conscience is just going, okay, there really is something I'm running after that matters more to me than God. What do we do with this? Two things I want to say. Here's the first. Jesus dies to turn prostitutes into a bride. Jesus dies to turn prostitutes into a bride. Can you imagine Jesus in heaven with me for a moment before he's come to earth? What's Jesus approach in heaven as he looks down you know, and would have seen this? Did he say, basically, I'm going to wait until they sort themselves out and then I will come. You know, once, once they've stopped sinning, once they've stopped loving other things, then I'll come. Once they're beautiful, then I'll come. The amazing truth of the gospel is Jesus comes when people are still acting like prostitutes. Jesus doesn't die for his bride because he thinks the bride is lovely and beautiful. Jesus dies when his bride isn't lovely and beautiful. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In other words, Jesus sees us when we're not holy and blameless, when we're messed up, when we're ugly and dirty. And as he goes to the cross, he dies for that spirit of prostitution. He dies for the way we run after other things. He dies to make us holy and blameless. Can I say something to anybody who's here looking into Christianity? This passage does show us we are accountable to God. How we live really matters, because he's given us everything. Even our very existence we owe to him. How we live really does matter. What this isn't saying is you've got to clean yourself up before you become a Christian. Jesus died to make us beautiful. And if actually as you think, gosh, there's so many things I've lived for that aren't the God who made me, and I feel ugly and I feel dirty, I just want to say come to Jesus he's the one who can make us clean and make us radiant come to him and say Lord I've just lived for things that aren't you the God who made me and I want to come to you and I want to come back to you and we can even do that today if we feel ugly and dirty messed up because we've sinned and ignored God come back to him Well, let me say this to those of us who are Christians. Jesus died to make us a bride. A beautiful bride. What about you? I'm at my best when I'm living most wholeheartedly for the Jesus who loves me. That's when I'm most who I should be. That's most when I'm most satisfied, actually, because he's the best person to live for. But it might be that as we've looked at Hosea 4 and 5 your sense is just of the Holy Spirit at work in you saying, yeah, that that area where if you're honest and you might hate the language but that sort of prostitution of running after something other than God that's just where you are at the moment and I want to say today's a good day to do business with God on that come back and say lord i don't want to live after that thing anymore i want to be part of your faithful bride and if you need persuading can i simply say this whatever you're tempted to run after has never died for you whatever you're tempted to run after has never died for your sins whatever you're tempted to run after isn't your creator Whatever you're tempted to run after won't ultimately satisfy. And I need to be clear, you can't have both, actually. I think this is what this is saying. I don't know about you, I'm sometimes tempted to bargain with God. God, can I keep holding on to that sort of idol? And can I have you as well? Is that okay? And the answer is no. Actually, because he's too committed to our joy for that. He wants us wholehearted. He wants us to be a faithful bride. And it might simply be that if there's something, and to be honest, you already knew about it, and this has just been a reminder, okay, that's the thing that I'm running after, which isn't God. Well, today's a good day to come back to him. Because Jesus will welcome us back. But we do need to do it. Just remember to start here, listen, pay attention. And if God's been speaking to us, well, it's good to do business with him. Should we have a moment of quiet? It might just be that, I say, God has been speaking to us in different ways and actually we just want to acknowledge that before God and say, Lord, I know that's the thing I've been running after, which isn't you, which is displeasing to you. I know that's become more important to me than you. Lord, it hasn't satisfied, and it's actually just left me mixed up and confused and miserable. Lord, I want to come back. Why don't we, just a moment of quiet, and so we just say whatever we want to in our hearts to the Lord, and then I'll pray.